Good morning, South Hills. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Not only are we uh, doing communion, not only are we worshiping together, not only are we celebrating my wife's birthday, but we get an opportunity uh, to hear from uh, the Word of God this morning. But before I jump into that, uh, I am super stoked about next month, uh, our family month. As uh, Christina mentioned, we have lots of stuff happening, uh, uh, patio parties. Patio parties, if you're visiting us for the first time, Patio parties are events that we put together right after service for you to hang out with us so that you can do life or we can do life with you. So a lot of different things that we uh, planned for the entire month of October. Every single Sunday, there's something happening and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, and not only is it a great time to invite your family, friends, neighbors, people that you have li- uh, do life with, but uh, the cookie, listen, the, the chili cook-off, that's pretty, imp- that's pretty impressive. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait and so we have several people signed up. Monica is one of them. She's going to be uh, cooking, and, and I, I'm a little, a little biased. Anyway, uh, so it's going to be super fun. But we want to help you promote. We want to help you invite your family, friends, and neighbors. And so we've put together these little yard signs. Uh, they're both, uh, both sides. So you can uh, invite your, start inviting people. Uh, it kind of gives the information of what we're going to be talking about, which is the five lies that ruin relationships. Uh, so every October we talk about relationships, uh, not just your romantic ones, but uh, the relationships you have with your kids, relationships you have with your coworkers, your neighbors, people that you do life with. And so this is a great way for people that normally wouldn't come to church to come to church because we're going to be talking about something that's really important and matters to them. And so we want to help you promote that. And so if you at the end of service can go to the Connect booth, grab one of these uh, and stick it on your lawn. Uh, for the next uh, several weeks here and help us invite. We have flyers when you came in as well uh, to help you in the next couple of weeks. We'll also be uh, putting out our social media blasts out there for you to kind of tag it and share it out there. It's going to be really awesome. So I encourage you to grab one of these at the Connect booth with Wendy. She has them ready and available for you. All righty. So let's jump into our series here. We are in week three of a series called Tiny Gold Statues right? Uh, A teaching on idols, right? A teaching on idols. And we've been learning that an idol, an idol is anything that you look at and think, man, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, right? If I have that thing, if I have that title, if I have that, that kind of aura about me, right? Then I will, I will feel like my life has meaning. I'll know that I'll have value and I'll feel significant and secure. And maybe you've never really heard of an idol in that form of fashion, but we've been learning over the last few weeks, right, what this is really all about. And now the best way to overcome any sort of thing that holds power over you, right, like an idol, isn't by pretending that we we don't want it, but by recognizing and pursuing the beauty of something much greater, something that has more value, something that is more beautiful, something that has more power, right? And we here at Southfields believe that that is Jesus. Jesus, right? That's what he does. That's who he is. That's what we hope uh, that we are after, that we are pursuing or in pursuit of him. And so we've been looking at uh, the, the, the four root idols over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about the idol of power, right, which is 
this little guy right here, right? Most influential. We talked about the most influential. And last week, we talked about the idol of approval, which is most liked. And some of you already took those trophies, said those are the two trophies you wanted, you would win. Like if there was a competition that you would most likely win. Today, we're going to talk about the idol of uh, approval. Excuse me, sorry, that was approval last time. But today we're talking about the idol of comfort, which is also known as the most relaxed. Right? Some, is that the right one? No, see, that's, that's why I try to put them in order. There we go. The most relaxed. The most relaxed. I know you're trying to figure, what does a dollar bill have to do? Because it's hard to find trophies with someone laying down on a sofa like this. So <laughs> we got we to think outside of the box, right? And so that's what we're talking about, the most relaxed. And, I, and on week one, many of you raised your hand for this one. If there was a, an award for most relaxed, you would be winning it, okay? So, so think about that. Now let's kind of switch gear here. How many of you have enjoyed your weekend so far? Just raise your hand. Like you have really enjoyed your weekend. Very cool. That's awesome. I love it. Can I remind you that tomorrow you go back to work? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Well, I got to bring it up. Now I went from being like really fun and really cool. Now I'm the most disliked guy in the room here, right? Well, let me, let me share a little bit about this morning. There's this ancient Babylonian myth about how the world was created. Maybe you heard this, maybe you haven't. But a battle broke out among the gods Marduk and Timiat. Or Tamak. And Marduk was victorious, and he created the world out of the body of his enemy. So he created the world out of the body of his enemy. And other gods were watching and said, well, now that you have created the earth, you have to work to keep it up. But Marduk replies, I will create a lowly creature called man to take care of it. The gods didn't want to do the job, right? And so they asked humanity. They tasked humanity with this manual labor. So that's, that's a Babylonian myth. And so for years, many of us have believed the lie that work is a curse. That work is a curse and a tragic reality that we're forced to experience, especially the millennials. It's a joke. Relax. Not really. Anyway, that's why all of the weekend warriors cheer, right, when, and, and say things like, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. I said that in a prayer the other day, and my kids were like, no, I'm happy. It's Friday. I am excited that it's Friday until Sunday comes, right, and we're saying like, oh, gosh, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to work. And if we're honest here today, we, we all kind of daydream about retiring. Some of us are retired already. I envy you. Or for some of us, we dream about quitting our jobs and sitting on a beach under an umbrella. After that, that's on you, right? But we romanticize the idea of no work, no responsibilities, and no schedule. Just comfort and freedom 
living it up. As parents of two teenage girls who are heavily involved in uh, everything and anything extracurricular that the school can offer, both in and outside of the school uh, at that, Monica and I, who work both work full-time jobs, and some of us have more than one job, right, to add to our daily schedule, our kids' busy schedule gets put on top of that, along with everything else that we do as parents, right? And there have been times, we'll, we'll be honest, we'll be transparent, that there have been times when we just actually run to the room, close the door, jump in bed, and just sigh. Actually, we're hiding. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? <laughs> In fact, I think many of us would appreciate less demands. Right? We would appreciate less demands and, and more freedom, right? But let's be weary, church. Let's be weary of the pursuit and the desire of comfort, of too much comfort. Truth is comfort has become an obsession for many of us. When we pursue the idol of comfort, we're more than willing to not be productive at all, as long as we can be comfortable. I'm going to say that again. When we are in pursuit of too much comfort in our lives, we're willing to kind of say, listen, I, I'm okay with not being productive just so that I can kick it back and enjoy and be comfortable. In our avoidance of stress and expectations, we see people around us as potential obstacles to our comfort because the truth is relationships require work. So if you are here today and you believe that this is your trophy, that you would win the most relaxed award, you may fit into this mold. But here's the thing. A constant craving for comfort can masquerade as being easygoing, but is really afraid of the stress and the demands of life. Now we're going to get into your kitchen. The person with a comfort idol seeks privacy. They want less stress and more freedom. And they're not and they're willing, and what they're willing to pay for that is productivity. They're more than willing to not be productive at all as long as they can be comfortable. Their greatest nightmare is stress and demands from people and responsibilities. When we worship comfort, we can often hurt people around us because laziness always has, well, has collateral damage, right? The problem of those who worship comfort is that they fall into this, what we call, boredom. When you're too relaxed, you fall into this boredom feeling. There are people who are constantly bored, boredom haunts them, and because they have not been designed by God to sit around and do nothing. That's why boredom kicks in. To worship comfort is to enslave yourself to boredom, a life of not having any impact or value. 
Worshippers of comfort see other people, even those closest to them, as potential obstacles to their comfort. So authentic relationships do not come easily. If you worship comfort, all of the relations, all of your relationships cannot get any deeper than anything superficial. Anything on the, the surfacey part of it because relationships require work. They require effort. They require energy. But for all of the comfort that we pursue, we simply make ourselves more uncomfortable because our hearts were designed for community and meaning through work. We find meaning through purpose, through work, through what God has called us to do in life. You see, the culture at large in which we live in seems to view work as punishment. Most of us would articulate the dream uh, as being able to do nothing all day. Since we were made in the image of God, we were made to create and govern. We were made to create and govern. There, there's, this, there's a big difference between a relaxing day off or a vacation and an extreme desire to do absolutely nothing. Doing nothing, in essence, is the opposite of God. It offers us a different gospel, a false gospel, that somehow doing nothing will be able to satisfy or Fulfill us. But here's the thing, church. True rest, true rest cannot be experienced in the avoidance of work, but as we participate in work. True rest can only happen if we are willing participants in work. Because if you are not working, what do you need to rest for? Reality of church is that we, can, we cannot exhale unless we what? Inhale. And we cannot experience rest unless we work. The idea that freedom from expectations and responsibilities is the pinnacle of achievement is simply not true. In fact, like all idols, it actually leads us away from the very thing that we most long for and that God desires for us. It feels a bit out of pocket, but this, this was actually a huge issue in a city called Thessalonica. Right? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonians in that city, to the church in that city, and made it very clear that work was crucial and that Christians especially need to pay attention. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and do not or don't follow the tradition they received from us. For, uh, for you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when you were with us, when we were with you. 
We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, you get, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Verse 11, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Nosy. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. I love the way it starts, this part of this letter, the way it starts. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's such a powerful Starting or opening statement, right? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anybody seems to be deserving of honor and the ability to be provided for, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? He would be deserving of it because he was a, travel, a traveling missionary. He was going from city to city, taking the word of God. And, and he would come in, and, and he was tired from, they didn't, he didn't take an Uber. He didn't take a Lyft, right? There was no electric scooters to go down the road. So he walked it. Or he, he put himself on the back of an animal, right? He got there somehow, and he was tired. And if there was anyone that needed kind of to chill and relax and enjoy, it was him. But no, he's like, hey, I'm going to set this example for you. In our idolization of comfort and avoidance of work, we actually make others around us have to work harder. We make the people around us work harder because we have chosen not to work. Not only does avoiding work or being idle become a burden to others, it actually causes us to become bad people, problematic and busybodies. I remember... Living in the Bronx, right, uh, there would be uh, some, 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 some ladies that would kind of prop their pillow at the window and just, just sit there like this. And they would just watch all the kids running up and down, running up and down. And they would just be nosy. They would try to tell me what to do. No, I just shouldn't be playing with that. I don't want to play with it. Thank you very much. And they were always causing issues for the kids. We couldn't do nothing. My mom, we had the back window. Like, my mom couldn't see anything. And there was the lady. Your son, come look out the window. Lady, don't you have a job or anything? Mind your business. No, just kidding, right? We've said it over the last few weeks that we cannot just remove an idol. We have to replace it with something more beautiful. So how do we do that when it comes to work? We talked about the Babylonian creation myth, but the creation poem in Genesis paints a much more beautiful picture. Genesis tells us about a loving and intentional God working to form the world. Work wasn't a necessary evil. God worked for the sheer joy of it. 
Then God created Adam and Eve and, and created them in his own image. And part of that image is the image of a worker. Genesis 2.15 reminds us that the Lord placed, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. To tend and watch over it. Other translations uh, in the Bible use the word uh, work. Right? The Hebrew word for work is abad. Right? But abad can also be translated, translated throughout the Bible as service and worship. Now, when you kind of think about it in those terms, in those words, all of a sudden we come face to face with a much bigger, much more beautiful picture of the word work. We get to serve the kingdom. We get to be a part of an incredible team. We get to do something to bring glory and honor to God. You see, work gives us three things. I'm going to quickly run through these. Uh, so take a, take a look, uh, take a picture if you must. And number one, work gives us the satisfaction of supporting ourselves. That's pretty evident, right? God created us in such a way that we experience deep joy and satisfaction from doing meaningful, productive work. There's been research study that shows that the most satisfying economic activity for human beings is not earning great amounts of money, but rather earned success. That feeling of, man, I accomplished that. Man, I did that well. Man, I moved, helped move my company from this point to that point. Man, I was able to accomplish all of these things. Put another way, having a specific responsibility and then doing good work to fulfill that responsibility in whatever career or field of life one chooses. In this room, there are many different paths that you have taken, right, as careers. And, and there's, there's meaningful um, uh, outcome. There's, there, there's something that's beautiful that comes as the result of the effort that you've put in. Tim Keller echoed in his book, Every Good Endeavor, uh, when he wrote this. He said, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut, cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Number two, the second thing that work gives us is the privilege of co-creating with God. I love that. We get to be co-creators with God. Co-create, like, like, I... That, that just sounds good, Ephraim, co-creator with God. I, I like that. I don't know about you. Co-creator with God. We often think that God does his thing and we do ours and every once in a while, right, God's work shows up in our lives. But the reality is that, is that God's works, of, is that God works in partnership with us, right? God works in partnership with us with us. We co-create with God, and God uses our work to serve and provide for the world. 
For example, we all know that part of the Lord's Prayer where it says, uh, give us today our daily bread. God could respond by instantly providing the food we need, right? He did that before. It's written in the Word of God. He dropped it like it's hot. He, he, listen, he was giving people food all of the time. But instead, God provides through farmers, people who are caring for livestock and farmland. And he provides through truckers who transport the food to the grocery stores. And he provides through grocery store staff that put the food on the shelves and check out uh, check you out at the registers. The owner of the restaurant who hires a chef to cook the food and waiters to serve the food. You see, God works through the designers that make the plates and the cuttery and the people that work in the factories. And there is this constant loop of God using people in partnership to be co-creators or uh, to be co-creators with these people. And we each have a role that we play in it. God provides your daily bread through the work of hundreds of people in multiple cities and countries. He even uses people in China to give you stuff that you need here. I thought that was actually funnier than you were laughing. Some of you are sleeping. I get it. Friends, when you think about the home that you live in, the clothes that you wear, the education that you receive, the medical care provided for you, it's all the result of people co-creating with God. Our work is one of the primary ways that God cares for people and creation. And you get to play a role in that. The third thing that work gives us is the opportunity to worship God, the opportunity to come to him with a heart of gratitude. You see, when we work hard and when we work with excellence, we build a reputation that reflects something greater than ourselves. When we use the skills and the ability and the talents that God has created us with, we actually are honoring God. With your skills and your talents, when you do well in school, you are honoring God with your skills and your talents. When you do well in sports, you're honoring God with those skills and your talents. When you do well at your job places, you are honoring God with your skills and your talents and your abilities. We can shift our mindset from working for our boss to recognizing that we are working to worship God. I love that. That everything that I do, everything that I sweat for, everything I put my heart behind and energy, my talents and my abilities is doing so to bring glory and honor to God, to worship him. I want to go to work tomorrow. Just because of that. Knowing that what I get to do is brings him glory and honor. Colossians 3, uh, verses 23 to 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Amen? 
Let me wrap this up this morning. Oh, I love this word today. I too, I, me too, Pastor, me too, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was hoping in return. <laughs> the, the reality, church, is that the promise, the promise of the comfort God can never, excuse me, the reality is that the promise of the comfort God can never deliver what it offers. For all the comforts you pursue and you seek, you simply make yourself more uncomfortable. Because the human heart, the human heart was created to thrive, to thrive and live and succeed in community and fellowship and work. Though comfort is not a bad thing. Don't leave here saying that, what the pastor, he said the comfort is a bad thing. I did not say that. Because after this afternoon, I want to take a pastoral nap, right? Comfort is not a bad thing. Too much comfort, too much comfort makes a terrible God. Without work, we cannot leave here knowing that without work, we cannot experience the fullness of life. That which God has promised us, the fullness of life, right? He said, Jesus said, I came here to give you life in abundance. And we cannot experience the fullness of life that we were designed to experience. And we won't be able to experience God celebrating us. We're out here trying to win this award. There's a parable in Matthew 25 that talks about the three servants, right? The masses, uh, the three servants. You've heard about it. He gave each one a certain amount of money. The first one invested the five talents that he was given. The second one invested the two uh, talents he was given. And the last one kind of found a hole like a little dog and made a hole and stuck it in there. Have it back. There we go. So Jesus tells this parable about the three men who were entrusted. They were entrusted to do work while the master was gone. And this parable can be understood in light of financial investment. We probably heard that in a, a message of finances. This message, the parable, can also be understood or taught about natural gifts, talents, and abilities. Probably heard that as well. And at its most basic, most simplest level, I believe that it can be understood to teach us about the importance of work. God has given people a variety of gifts and talents and abilities and skills and passions. And he expects us to use those gifts to serve him. We don't, have, we don't all have the same gifts, but God doesn't expect us to do the same work, just that we do the work. Just that we do the work. The master told the two servants that worked, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
to the third one, life wasn't good for him. But this affirmation and blessing comes not because they all did the same thing, but because they did something. They worked. They worked. And so this week, your homework, your practical application to this word is to go home and learn to experience God's peace through work by memorizing Matthew 25, 21. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? Do we feel different about tomorrow?